Welcome to the Wellness Alchemy Podcast, Episode 16. I'm your host, Janelle Twine, naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist, and the owner of Seeds of Health. I've got a special passion for skin health and fasting. You can find heaps of details at seedsofhealth.com.au. But in today's episode, I'm interviewing Nikki Fisher. Nikki has been a naturopath for 14 years, focusing mainly on human health, specializing in fertility, mental health and behavior, and acute prescribing. However, in the last five years, she's been transitioning from two-legged to four-legged patients, as Nikki concentrates her skills and efforts on helping pets live their best lives. Nikki founded Pet Potions and Remedies in 2017 in response to local demand for her information and alternatives to standard veterinary advice. There were requests for remedies to support and promote pet health rather than masking symptoms. Having first, having become a first-time dog mama two years prior, her passion was born out of navigating the very confusing and often conflicting information presented to pet parents that just seemed at odds with all her professional training and experience. So Pet Potions began with a range of herbal medicines addressing the most common concerns and has grown to incorporate whole food supplements, naturally fermented probiotics, homeopathic first aid kits, essential oil sprays and offering nutrition and health consultations to help pet parents navigate the path to their pet's optimum health and wellness. And I've personally had a consultation with Nikki and found it super useful. So let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Hi, thanks for having me. Alrighty. So you work as a naturopath, but have a huge passion for animals and you've also got a business called Pet Potions. So I'm curious if you could share with the listeners what ignited this passion and interest in blending health and animals and sharing really unique information, I feel, um, to your community. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess my passion for animals really started with one animal, Jetty, my current or our current dog. Um, and I, it essentially grew through my journey and learning to care for him. Um, I met my partner, Greg, five years ago now, and he'd just adopted a rescue pup. Um, so I had this gorgeous little animal come into my life. And I'd had, I mean, I'd had other animals growing up, cats, rabbit, birds, fish, um, for the most part, funnily enough, they all ate real food, whether it was wow, interesting. Or grasses or meats and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was obviously mum growing up who took care of all of that. So I never really gave it any thought. And then all of a sudden we had this amazing little dog and I'd never owned a dog before. Um, so yeah, it, it started with him. Um, essentially our journey is probably quite like a lot of other pet owners who start with what's recommended by the vet. Um, I used to feel really quite responsible and ahead of the curve going into the pet store and buying the grain free pet food and reading all the ingredients and switching the proteins different months and maybe spending a little bit more one month and getting the fish included ones for more omega fatty acids and yeah thinking I was doing a really good thing um and it and that continued for a little while it wasn't really until we found ourselves um at the local vet one day because Jetty had some sort of ear inflammation he was shaking his head a lot and 
really quite uncomfortable, so we took him along to the vet. Um, and the vet had a look and did a swab, and there was no infection, just inflammation. And wanted to give us a script for anti-inflammatories. And I kind of sat there and thought, hang on a minute. Inflammatory ear condition. Could this have anything to do with what we're feeding him? You know, I would ask my clients as a naturopath about diet, you know, allergies, all of these other lifestyle things as well. Mm. Um, and the vet just kind of went, oh, well, it could be. It could be something in the food. It could be something environmental. He's got some staffy in him. They sort of tend towards allergies to things, but don't worry about it too much. Just give him these anti-inflammatories and it should go down. And I think that's when a light bulb went off. Mm. I kind of walked out going, oh, my God, what am I doing? I wouldn't do this for us. Like I wouldn't feed us the same food twice a day, every day, every day of the year, and then go to the doctor for a script when we got sick. Why on earth am I doing this for this little animal who can't talk to me and tell me that they're bored of the food or they're sick of the food or they don't really like it or their ear hurts, you know? Mm. Um, and I came out with a lot more answers. Oh, sorry, a lot more questions than when mm -hmm. I went in. Yep. Um, so that sort of started the rabbit hole, I guess. Um, I started reading a lot more about animal-specific health, taking a lot of online courses, webinars, um, talking to more holistic vets in the area, doing a lot of reading, a lot of my own research. Um, I found it absolutely fascinating and in equal parts probably infuriating at times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure anyone on a health journey, when they start digging down that rabbit hole, finds as well. Um, and I was just very fortunate at the time to be working in an amazing dispensary where we lived. Um, and we would get people from all walks of life coming in to ask about their health problems. And some of them started coming in asking about their pet's health. And because it's what I was learning and was really interested in, I was able to help and try different remedies and try things like herbs and homeopathics and supplements and, they'd come back telling me they had really good results and word kind of spread. And I had more and more of our community coming in and asking about mm. their pet's health and their pet's illnesses and what else they could do or what they could do instead of what the vet had offered. And it became a really amazing space to put all of this into practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess seeing those really good results just cemented for me that this is pretty amazing and there's a lot we can do. And there's also pet. such a need for it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Which is why I so wanted yeah. to get you on the podcast. Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> I had a collie lab growing up and we fed her canned food and I guess we didn't know any different at the time. And um, you spoke about the rabbit hole. I've been down the rabbit hole recently because I've got a one and a half year old Kelpie collie now. And yeah, I, I've been trying to work out what to feed her and with my background as a naturopath and how I eat, I didn't want to be feeding her canned food. That felt cruel. So I've been one step ahead of me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I, I was inspired by you. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wanted to feed her a whole food diet at the same time as feeling really confused and sometimes stressed about yeah. Oh my God, am I doing the right thing? Or wow, this is such hard work. 
uh, oh my God, this is a lot of meat. Um, you know, like I wasn't eating a largely meat based diet. So I was trying to keep up with the whole carnivorous world as a dog and, <laughs> and wanting to do that for her and trying to get the ratios right. So I guess my next question is, can you provide some insight into um, the best way to provide a bit of guidance on how to feed a dog a whole food diet or a raw food diet, whichever label you choose, and maybe the ratio on, on feeding? We'll focus yeah, on sure. dogs for now. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the labels that they give to things. I found that um, I almost feel like I've come full circle from going all through human nutrition and then all of these different areas of specialty as a naturopath to write back to like the basics of nutrition again mm -hmm. with animals. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it fascinating how many labels we put on how we feed ourselves as humans, but we do the same thing for our animals. Mm. Um, it's really quite interesting. I guess the first thing I would say to pet owners is it you're right, it can be a bit to learn at first, um, especially if you have been feeding a predominantly commercial diet, whether that's out of a can or out of a bag. Mm. Um, but it doesn't have to be hard or time consuming or expensive, and a lot of people seem to be put off by those things. Mm -hmm. um, it can really be as simple as starting out where you are and building up slowly. So there's a particular, um, the University of Helsinki have been doing a lot of amazing studies on uh, and independent research on pet foods and animal health. It's one of the only places I know of in the world that's doing actual independent pet food research where they're not sponsored by a pet food manufacturer. Interesting. Um, and they did a study because they wanted to look at comparing the ratios of dry food to raw food to try and find the tipping point at where you can change from potentially increasing a dog's chance of developing a disease to being able to decrease the dog's chance of developing a disease. And they did this by looking at all different blood and biological markers and so forth. And it turns out that it's really actually quite small. It's only 20%. So just by adding 20% fresh raw food to your pet's current diet, you can decrease their chances of developing long-term chronic disease mm. compared to just feeding dry food alone. Mm. So it can be a lot. I totally agree with you. That's how I felt starting out. But it can also be as simple as just starting by adding some fresh raw meat or some tinned sardines or a raw egg or even blending and pulverizing up your leftover veggies and adding that to your dog's food. Amazingly easy if you have a small animal because 20% is really not much in gram weights if you're only feeding a couple of hundred grams a day. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing I'll say to that. It doesn't have to be difficult. Secondly though, and I think you are probably a lot better off than most having the background in nutrition and natural health that you do, um, if people don't have any idea about nutrition, I would say it is well worth investing in a consultation with an animal nutritionist or a holistic vet who understands and is interested in raw food diets. Um, just to help you figure out a really good diet plan for your specific animal. And that's mm. especially true if you have a pregnant animal, if they're lactating, if they have specific health conditions or they're on a lot of vet meds. For the same reason you would do that as a human being. You want to make sure that you 
are really getting the best out of the changes that you're making. Um, and you're not potentially creating other downstream issues with nutrient deficiencies over time, which if you were feeding a meat only diet to a dog, it is quite easy to cause other health problems because they can end up deficient in things like calcium, iodine, zinc, um, vitamin D, vitamin E, sometimes even B's and C's. Mm-hmm. So getting professional help whilst yes, it's an uh, initial cost um, can really help people in the long run, learn more about how to mix up, change up and put together really great diets with their animals. Yeah. I also think give confidence too. Oh, like totally. when I spoke to you when I first got Teak and um, even with my background of nutrition, I, I felt more confident feeding an animal because you'd given me a ratio to work with and a little bit of um, certainty in my choices or guidance within yeah. what I knew for humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. So rather than guessing. Um, particularly with a lot of Dr. Google around. I mean, it's yeah. great. We have so <laughs> many answers on Google these days, but it can be really confusing. Yes. So I think if you seek professional help first, then once you understand the basics, by all means, go and ask Google about specific... Oh, my goodness, that's my phone. Sorry. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> I'm just going to... I'm in the wrong room take that off the hook (laughs) (laughs) so I think yeah initially getting some help and guidance is a really good idea and then you can go look up the finer details and questions that you have on google once you sort of know how to interpret the information too yeah um all of that said though if we're looking at ratios and what I do that's kind of a really easy ratio to follow um as far as feeding jetty goes we tend to follow BARF guidelines B-A-R-F, which, as I mentioned, sounds absolutely beautiful. (laughs) Um, But it does stand for biologically appropriate raw feeding or biologically appropriate raw food. Um, Now, BAF guidelines work off a dog's ideal body weight. So if you have a really underweight or overweight animal, again, it might be worth getting some professional guidance on this. But generally speaking, we're looking at feeding about two to three percent of the animal's body weight per day so in jetty's case he weighs 20 kilos so we feed about 500 grams a day which sits in the middle at about two and a half percent you can obviously um, increase or decrease that once you start going depending on how active your animal is and how they respond as well now of that amount We're looking at feeding 80% as muscle meats. So obviously the less processed, the better. And by muscle meats, we're talking about your basic animal protein. So things like lamb, pork, duck, chicken, rabbit, kangaroo, beef, turkey, fish even. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does also include some internal organs, which are predominantly muscle and connective tissue. So things like heart, tongue, lung, tripe, gizzards, trachea, etc., all come under the muscle meat category. Then you're looking at feeding 10% bone. Now, it's really important that these are raw bones and never cooked or smoked because they can cause massive issues for animals. Um, and bone can incorporate things like ground or whole bird carcasses, so chicken carcass, duck carcasses, things like that. 
um, also chicken necks or duck feet or turkey necks or roux tail or ribs, even brisket and whole fish that still contains its bones um, are great examples of bone that you can add to the diet. And then we look at 5% as liver and 5% as other excreting organs because essentially they are really rich in nutrients. So things like kidney, spleen, brain, pancreas, even testes, ovaries, eyes, sweetbreads, all the other internal organs of an animal. That does bring you up to 100%. And some people will just feed the animal portions. Um, in some bar feeding guidelines that you read, they'll say fruit and vegetables are optional. Um, I personally think that fruit and veg are a really important addition to the diet because mm. you are getting a lot of phytonutrients, antioxidants, extra vitamins and minerals and things like that too. I also um, notice just, just a good dose of fibre, like the bowel movements are different when I throw in some juice pulp or some um, grated mm. zucchini or anything random. Yes, yeah, totally. vegetable based. Yeah. And a lot of that, um, you can sort of look at this based on poo too. Like if you're able to see where your animal goes to the bathroom, um, same as I've told human clients a lot over the years, if you know what's going in, make sure you check out what's coming out the other end because that mm. can tell you a lot about the process in between. Mm. Um, and if your dog's, you know, got really runny poo or really hard poo, um, or different coloured poo, it can give you a really good indication as to what's going on digestively as well, which is really important to health. Um, and then as far as fruits and vegetables, essentially dogs don't chew. So blending or grinding or pureeing first um, is really important to help them absorb the maximum amount of nutrients from fruits and vegetables. Um, things like spinach, kale, broccoli, a lot of your greens Brussels sprouts, beetroot, beans, um, blueberries, carrot, asparagus, cucumber, celery, pumpkin, zucchini, apple, sweet potato. I mean, we feed all of those quite safely. I have a tendency to sort of either look at what's left over or extra or just mix up a combination of those um, and freeze them as cubes mm. and just pop them out and defrost them and each week sort of change it up. That's um, a good idea. Just to vary it up is how I find really easy to do. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you can, I mean, sometimes if I have a green juice, even I'll just rinse out the blender and add the, you know, the rinsey part to the food just mm. as a bit of extra something as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably look at maybe 10 to 20% is probably what I add as vegetables as an extra. Um, I'm not really hard and fast on it. Sometimes if I sit down and Jenny is actually a good chewer, it's quite amazing to watch. If I'm sitting down eating something like carrot sticks, he wants them. But he will sit there and chew on a carrot until there's virtually nothing left and swallow it. And I have not really seen any other dog do that. So I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Um, and if I'm eating, you know, fruits or vegetables, I can give him a slice of apple and listen to him chew, 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 chew. Um, same with cucumber sticks, which he loves as well. So you can also use fruits and vegetables as a treat. I tend to find if animals are hand-fed small amounts of something, they do tend to chew it a bit more than if it's in a bowl and they tend to just inhale it down. Mm. 
um, and using, you know, fresh fruit and vegetables, whether it's a few blueberries are a great training treat as well is often a lot better alternative than some of the junky treats that are on the market anyway. Mm, yeah. Could I ask your opinion on additional things like chia seeds, sauerkraut, coconut oil, these, uh, I guess, wakami, those kinds of things. I found myself in the first few months of feeding teak wanting to amp up her meals and somehow just try and provide extra nutrition. Do you think they're either needed or um, are they able to digest them or uptake the nutrients? Do you have any thoughts on any of those types of foods? Yeah, definitely. Um, I use a lot of supplemental foods, to be honest. Um, I, at different points, will add coconut oil to Jetty's food as well. Um, I've even made great little like um, spirulina and coconut oil in little icy molds and add them to his food as well. Mm. Um, things like a lot of your really good oils will add. So whether it's, you know, adding flax seeds or flax oil or hemp seeds or hemp oil for extra omegas, um, which he's got an amazing shiny coat. So, and everyone comments on how healthy he looks. So I'm mm. like, super happy with that. Mm. Um, chia seeds are a great source of protein as well. Also, really nice source of fiber. Um, I would tend to soak those things first just to make sure they're really nice and plump personally, just so that they're not potentially taking either a lot of hydration from the animal internally or, you know, potentially causing any problems along mm -hmm. the way. Um, but yeah, definitely, there is definitely something to be said for adding more functional foods um, to an animal's diet. I have at different times used things like um, golden paste or turmeric and coconut oil mm. as great combinations for reducing inflammation when Jetty's had different injuries. Um, really amazing for dogs suffering joint problems or arthritis as an ongoing addition. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess similar to the way that you might look at those as a human, okay, this is going on. What other things can I add to my diet, whether it's, some spirulina, whether it is some turmeric paste, whether it is extra fish oils, chia seeds, coconut oil, we can do the same for our animals um, and quite safely too. There's not really a lot of those things that are functional because you don't use them in large amounts anyway mm. um, that I've come across that you couldn't use mm -hmm. for animals. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, beautiful. All right, so... Um, yeah, my next question is, I guess, uh, following the lines of um, what I observed when I got teak initially and how much I was learning so quickly about how the animal industry was following a very similar vein of the human sickness industry and, and just that sort of helplessness or apathy towards, well, I, I don't have a lot of choice around this. And I didn't feel like there was an abundance of information around what you could feed or do for an animal that would create optimum vitality and a beautiful temperament. Cause obviously what we feed the animal affects their behavior. Um, yeah, sure. so could you help provide a little bit of, um, uh, confidence for the listeners, mm. um, in making choices around vaccinations or alternatives, or, you know, you've, you've spoken largely about food choices, um, and how these alternatives 
either provide benefit or um, additional support or just, just your uh, two bob on the alternatives that are out there within the pet industry and, and the impact on a dog's or an animal's vitality. Yeah, sure. So the vet industry is an interesting one. Um, I wholly believe that vets get into their industry because they do genuinely care about our animals and they want to do good in the world. Mm. Um, the, the, tri- the interesting and tricky things, I guess, unlike human doctors who can specialise in one system or another, vets pretty much have to be across everything. Mm, um, they true. tend to have to have information on all the different systems rather than say your GP who would refer you to the cardiologist or the pulmonologist or the immunologist or something like this. So I totally respect that their job is very demanding in that respect. And I can completely understand how from one day to the next, you might not have all the best answers for everyone sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think would also be quite emotionally taxing when you've got a human who just has their animal that they love so much and you, and they're not getting the answers that they want. Mm. Uh, so I guess firstly, be kind to your vet. It's mm. <laughs> a really important point. Um, but secondly, as you touched on in similar vein to the human unwellness industry, um, a lot of medicine generally focuses on, pathology and things that are going wrong there isn't to the best of my knowledge a whole lot of training around optimal health and how to promote or achieve or enhance that so that's probably the first thing just to bear in mind they're usually not given a lot of training on how to create optimal wellness within Mm. us or our pets Um, for reasons like that is why i personally sought out amazing holistic vets who have trained and continued to upgrade their training specifically in those areas and who treat with things, um, sure, surgery and meds when necessary, but also with things like herbs and homeopathics and nutrition or massage or acupuncture and do kind of take a more holistic approach. Those people do exist. You just often have to seek them out. Hmm. Um, And they can sometimes be really great allies as well on helping you navigate alternatives. The important thing to know is that there are alternatives. Mm. Um, With things like vaccinations, and I I get asked a lot about vaccinations um, and a lot about some specific medications as well, but there are a lot of vets and a lot of pet owners that will still routinely, you know, do the annual vaccinations and tick the box. I personally don't. Um, and don't agree with the tick the box mentality. Um, Many animals actually maintain quite good levels of antibodies way past these arbitrary points of say one year on an annual schedule. Um, And first off as a really good alternative, rather than overloading their systems, if they might still be protected, I am a firm believer in titer testing. Um, T-I-T-R-E, titer testing or titer testing as some people might call it Um, essentially it's a blood test that your vet can do which measures the antibody levels in your pet so before you just routinely take them in for another vaccination it's worth asking your vet to check are they still protected from the last lot are they still Mm. protected from their puppy vaccinations even and if they do have good levels of antibodies you don't actually need to revaccinate them at that point in time Um, if they don't have measurable or you know optimal levels of antibodies 
then you can sort of look at, well, am I, is my pet still at risk of this disease that we could vaccinate against? Do I live in a high risk area? Um, what are the other alternatives? Can I support my pet's immune system? In which case this particular illness is not life threatening or particularly dangerous. So therefore I'm happy that the benefits of having a really healthy animal outweigh getting them vaccinated. Um, my vet offers homeopathics as an alternative pathway to vaccination as well. So that's something that we've done with Jetty in the past when he has um, had a low titer test on a particular immunization. Um, but it is a tricky one, purely and simply because I find that, um, I guess similar to the way the government's gone with its human, you know, no jab, no play laws, there are certain um, training schools, certain, um, you know, puppy schools, certain um, kennels and so forth that just simply won't allow you to enrol or take you if you don't have an up-to-date vaccination record. So it can be just as tricky for some pet owners to navigate and care for their pets um, if they are not wanting to vaccinate. Um, but there are definitely other options available. Hmm. The other really interesting one that I get asked about is flea and tick meds. Um, and that's, that's a major, major issue of health for pets. We personally experience the downside of flea and tick nets and thankfully realised what was happening before it was too late. Um, Jetty, it took us about three months actually of using Nexgard as an oral chew to work out that for the three days, three to four days after giving him these chews, he would get sick, he'd go off all his food and water, he'd become kind of disorientated and really not himself. Um, and it culminated on a beach walk, which is the beach's favourite place in the world, and he just sat down and refused to move and wouldn't walk. Wow. We were like, what the hell is going on? And, you know, when your animal's a bit off, I guess same as you as a human, you know, you can think, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but you don't really think about it and they get better. And then it was only that this was the third month in a row it had happened that I did a little bit of research and was absolutely gobsmacked at what I found online, just in regards to support groups for people whose pets had died as a result of these meds. Mm. Um, and I just thank God that we didn't try any of the like two to three month doses or there's actually a really good chance he'd be dead. Mm. Um, so with things like t ticks and fleas, a lot of vets do just routinely, oh, you know, let's refill that or people go diligently to the pet store to get their brevecto or their neck scarred and their things like this. Um, to a lot of that, I'd just say, look at your risk. Obviously fleas, fleas are not deadly. They're really annoying. Um, it does take a lot to get on top of them. Eternal vigilance. Um, check your dogs for fleas and ticks. If they don't have fleas, don't bother using a preventative. It's just not worth the risk. If they have fleas, sure use something topically or around the home to eradicate the issue um, and get on with it. Ticks require a little bit more vigilance because there are a lot of really tick prone areas in Australia and paralysis ticks can obviously be deadly. Um, they are really scary to a lot of people too. 
But again, if you're doing daily tick checks of your pet, which requires you basically giving your pet a full body massage workover with your fingers through all of their hair on a really regular basis, if you're living in a tick prone area, um, is a really good start. A tick has to be on your animal for anywhere from sort of 12 to 48 hours, more likely 24 to 48 hours before it makes them sick anyway. So there is a lot to be said for doing daily tick checks and just pulling them off. Mm. Most animals are fine. Um, I've given Jetty, when we lived all around cattle farms, I remember about a week he came home with over a hundred ticks a day on him, the brown cattle ticks. Oh, I remember you showing this. This is awful. Oh my God. By about day three, I was in tears with like, I was picking them off with tweezers and putting them on sticky tape so that they didn't crawl all around the floor. And I ended up just putting one of those topical treatments on him just cause I couldn't do it a fourth day in a row. Yeah. Um, and they all sort of disappeared and that was fine. And that was just a once off and it doesn't really bother me. Um, the thing that a lot of people don't realize about the chews is how they work. So essentially your dog eats this chew, which contains poisons. The poisons enter your dog's bloodstream and they flow all throughout your dog's body. They concentrate in tissues, including the skin. And then when the fleas and ticks bite your dog, they ingest that poison, they get paralyzed and they die, which sounds super great until you realize that in order to poison the ticks and fleas, you've actually had to poison your dog first. Mm. Um, I always find really interesting the the U S FDA gives any warning about a medication. I find it super interesting because they tend to be quite lax on these things, but they issued warnings um, on these products due to adverse reactions advising that they're associated with things like tremors, dizziness, fatigue, personality and behavior changes, stumbling, difficulty walking, incoordination, seizures and death mm. and advise people to think carefully before giving these products to their dogs, which includes your Nexgard, your Brevecto, um, Soresto, a lot of those things as well. I remember you posting an article about a dog having a seizure after mm one of those and it was really interesting to observe it's um it's really scary because there's nothing you can do if mm. you are using those products and i'm not saying like it's it's up to everybody to assess the risk for themselves i'm not saying absolutely don't use them um, but if you notice any sort of reaction in your pet even if they're just a little bit off this month i would say stop and stop mm. using the product and find another product and don't give that product again because the risk is massive and unfortunately once you notice something going on with these products there's nothing your you can do there's nothing your vet can do um there are some older because style it's already within the blood is that what you mean exactly mm. and because of the type of toxin that it is there are some um some of the old style tick collars have older um they use older like organophosphate based chemicals and Okay, they don't sound nice, but if your dog gets a reaction to those, your vet can give the dog atropine and reverse those toxic effects quite easily. So yes, they can cause reactions, but there's something you can do about it. The I this name gets me every time. Isooxazolines, isooxazolines, mm -hmm. um, which is the main ingredient in a lot of these chews. There's no way to reverse the harm. So unfortunately. Once you notice there's a reaction happening and your dog's really ill, there's 
nothing you can do about it. So I tend to, in those cases, either look at, okay, you can use topical um, essential oil sprays as a repellent. It's only going to repel as it's being used. So that is something that you would need to spray on your animal before you go outside each and every day. Um, I would still be recommending that you check them when they come in though, because obviously that's not going to be totally foolproof. Um, if you do have an infestation, as I mentioned, sometimes the as not, not nice as they might be, those topical things can be a great way to just quickly get rid of everything that's on the animal's skin so that you don't have to deal, excuse me, with a massive infestation. Hmm. Um, there are, I've, I've not used them and I've not looked into the, effective, the effectiveness of them, but you can also buy little um, audit, um, like sonic devices that you can stick on the uh, collar yep. mm -hmm. um, and things like that as well. Um, how effective they are, I just don't know because I've never used them. So there are a lot of other alternatives to just using chemical treatments for animals mm. in general. Mm. Um, it's just often a matter of asking or taking the time to think outside the box instead of just following along with the status quo, which. Yeah. And I guess really observing your animal on, in that process. Yeah, definitely. And they're mm, all different. Some so animals will be fine with these things for ages and other animals will get really sick straight away. And it's just noticing these things as a responsible pet owner as well. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so you've got a great range of pet probiotics and liquid tinctures. Um, can you share with us the benefits of those products and how they support animal vitality? Yeah, sure. Um, so I created the tinctures first and they basically came from trying to meet the needs of the most common health conditions I was being asked about um, when I was working in this really busy dispensary. Um, namely joint issues and arthritis was a big one. Skin conditions kept coming up. Stress and anxiety was, I mean, amazingly before I got into this, I just didn't even think that pets suffer from anxiety, but it's huge. Mm -hmm. um, and immune and cancer was another really big one. Um, essentially, I just wanted to make it easy for pet owners to have access to safe alternatives and be able to build their own first aid slash wellness kits at home. So they had stuff on hand the same way you might have stuff on hand if your child gets sick or injured as well. Um, I found in each case, pets were pet owners rather were looking just for something else to support their pet or might've been dissatisfied with options that were presented to them by their vet, like just putting their animal and antidepressants, for example. Mm. Um, I had a lot of people who, asked that question and wanted to know if there was an alternative. Again, totally shocked that antidepressants are prescribed to pets, but mm. it's huge. Um, so I put a lot of research into blending and formulating, making sure they were safe and effective. Um, and I guess speaking to the vitality part with the tinctures, I was looking to support symptoms. So it's obviously help an animal to feel better, move better, function better, but, also balancing that with supporting the underlying physiology to help heal. So in something like joint juice, for example, the ingredients are both directly anti-inflammatory, which is going to help reduce pain and stiffness and swelling. Um, but at the same time, it's also helping to improve blood supply, promote the repair of damaged blood vessels, stimulate better digestion so they can absorb 
nutrients from food better, which helps healing, um, and also promoting rest and relaxation. So it's a whole body holistic approach to supporting your animal rather than just masking the symptoms. Mm. Um, which I think for similar to human health is really important. It's, yeah. If you just wanted to mask the symptoms, you'd just go grab a drug. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, all of the, in regards to the tinctures, they're all non-addictive. So much better options there. Um, Non-sedating and all organic as well. So I sort of went for what would I be happy taking? What would I be happy giving children? Um, and everything that I make is human and child and animal friendly anyway. Um, yeah. Stressless works really well on my three-year-old nephew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's one of those things that I, I was sort of balancing finding stuff that you can use safely on an ongoing basis. So if you have an animal with arthritis or joint conditions, you can use it on an ongoing basis. Um, but being just as effective on an acute or an as needed basis. So if Jenny gets a little bit too enthusiastic running around or on the odd occasion, he overestimates his ability to jump certain fences. <laughs> if he's limping around or flinching when I touch, you know, his back legs and things like this, <clears throat> I tend to add some joint juice to his food for a few days or for a week, um, just as a little bit of extra support to help him recover and get over whatever nonsense he's been getting up to. Mm. Um, similarly, if we leave him for a little while with people, I tend to either add stress less his food or give it to the pet sitter or you know uh, use it on an ongoing basis if he's a bit overstimulated at different family functions mm -hmm. um, it works quite well just a, a straight shot in the mouth as well mm. um, the probiotic on the other hand was probably designed more as a really good preventative health um, food upgrade life edition something for people who had both an otherwise healthy pet and just wanted to do something more um, or were looking for a really safe adjunct to anything else they were already doing. Yep. Um, I guess as far as um, you'd be well aware, probiotics are super important for good health. Um, just like in humans, <clears throat> excuse me, where we've got um, anywhere from 70 to 80% of our immune system hanging out in our gut amazing network of blood vessels and nerves connects to basically every part of the body, which is why a lot of people refer to it as our second brain. Um, it's just as much true for our pets as it is for ourselves. So ensuring that our pets have really good microbial diversity is also really beneficial to their health. Um, and that translates into things like shiny coat, great teeth, healthy skin, um, increasing nutrient absorption from food, improving immunity, right through to being shown to be offering positive benefits in treating things like digestive disturbance, um, inflammation, UTIs, yeast infections, skin conditions, um, even allergies, cancer, kidney disease, pretty much you name it. Um, mm. And essentially, I mean, essentially probiotics are one of the most benign yet most beneficial things that just about every animal can benefit from. So super safe to use. Um, in regards to the one that I've put together as well, um, it does have other benefits. So it's also got prebiotics, which 
work as a food source for your probiotics. So also, and also fibrous, so really good for digestive health. Um, and because it's based on whole foods, so I went for a whole food natural fermentation process um, rather than lab created synthetic bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that you're also getting really lovely array of pre-digested enzymes and vitamins and minerals and amino acids that are really easy to absorb. Um, so it's kind of like a, a nice little supplement boost across so the board. Upgrade. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm upgrade. Mm. Exactly right. And it's, I really like, I will add it to food. Um, sometimes instead I will add it to like ice cube trays with some coconut oil and pop it out like a treat in food bowls as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, I went for something that's quite stable in temperature. So I think 55 degrees doesn't need to be in the fridge right through to minus 18. So you can put it into freezy treats and things like this too. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some people do like to add, um, you mentioned sauerkraut um, earlier too as well. Adding probiotic foods to the animal's food is really great. Some people make their own probiotic foods, so they have a lot of that on hand. Um, Other people just don't or can't be bothered or have had a really bad experience with something exploding in their kitchen and want. (laughs) Um, In which case, it's it's a really easy, no-fuss way to be adding those benefits as well. Yep. Um, I mean, our food and our environment is changing. A lot of... There's a lot of stuff in our pet's environment particularly um, which puts, um, I guess, makes it a little bit harder for them. Their food tends to be really highly processed. Garden and lawn chemicals, whether at your own home or in the park, um, affect their microbiome. Antibacterial cleaning products, if you're using any of those on your floors or your surfaces Mm. where your animals live and sleep. Um, even chlorine and fluoride in their water, preservatives in their food, like it all takes its toll over time. Adds up. Yeah, um, it really does. So I find that just adding, you know, little bits of good things, varying it up goes a really long way to helping have a really healthy, vital animal. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. And I love that, you know, it's nature-based, it's plant-based. And as you mentioned, you're getting the nutrients as well as the specific purpose so you you were talking about say joint juice and it's delivering mechanisms to support the joints but you're getting that nutrient support along with it that synergistic support from from plants okay so um yeah final question i'm i'm curious if you've got anything to add as we wrap up um, for pet owners on what they could be doing more of just to either upgrade the animal's health or anything additional to what we've spoken about today? Mm, what can we do more of? I would say feeding more fresh food for the mm. majority of pet owners is a really important one. Um, as I mentioned, if you're not quite sure where to start, seek out professional guidance. Um, it's so much quicker and less confusing initially. And once you've got all the basics down, it's super easy. Um, so more fresh food in the diet um, is probably my number one. Um, interestingly, and I've had quite a few people mention that they've read or been told that you shouldn't mix raw food with dry food. Mm. Um, I guess similar to the food combining principles 
that we learn of in naturopathy with different, you know, stomach acid environments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it may not be ideal for your pet if they have massive digestive issues and if they do and things get worked, definitely seek professional help. Um, but otherwise, don't stress about it. It is better to feed some fresh food than none at all. Mm. By far better to feed and include some fresh food in your pet's diet than not to give them anything at all. So fresh, more fresh food would be a big one. Um, I guess from an animal's perspective, understand that when you commit to a pet, you are committing to a life and the life of that pet. It's not just a fun little puppy or a kitten to have for a season or the holidays or until the kids grow up or your pet is relying on your love and your commitment. And that takes work and it mm. takes money. And sometimes that's expensive when pets do dumb things. <laughs> um, and it also takes your time and your effort. It's, I mean, incredibly rewarding for the unconditional love that you get. Um, but before you get into pet ownership, have a long, hard look at what you can commit to. And if you can't commit to 10 or 20 years for the life of a dog, maybe look at getting a different pet because mm. it's shelters and rescue organizations in this country and all over the world are doing such a great job to try and rehome pets. But it is so unfortunate in my opinion that they have to exist in the first place mm. because humans decide that it's just not convenient or doesn't work for my life anymore, or we can't do this or I'm over it. Mm. Um, there are a lot of other pets available if having a dog is too big of a commitment and you can start small with goldfish and birds or mm. something else. If you're not quite up to, you know, a 20 year commitment. So I would yeah. say that that's a big one for me. Yeah, that's great. I, I would also jump back a little bit and add um, to honor an animal's intelligence. You know, if they're giving you signs and symptoms or, acting needy or different um you touched on this earlier but just to hammer home um you know those those are key indicators and they need to be honored or taken note of because Definitely. i just think you know uh, my dog anyway there's just so much intelligence and um, intuition in their body that is um easy to work with rather than against absolutely Absolutely. And they communicate, it's just learning that they communicate in different ways. Yeah. Um, I know Jetty sometimes if he's overly sooky about something, it, it can be so easy to be like, what, what's the problem? Stop being a sook. Like, come on, mm. I've walked you and I've fed you and I've something else to you. But it's also important to remember that a lot of these pack animals, particularly for dogs, it's not safe for them to show you that they are sick or injured because they would have been either shunned from the pack or they're seen as the weakest link and, you know, a larger predator can pick them off or they lose their hierarchy. Um, so a lot of animals, dogs particularly, won't readily tell you and show you when they're sick or injured, but they will withdraw their mm. behaviour and their mood will change. Um, so being really yeah aware of your animal's normal temperament is really important. 
Um, and Jenny's great now. Like if he's got to sort anything, he just comes up and he'll stick his bum in my face. Like give me a massage, <laughs> this leg, and then change sides, this leg. Um, massage for animals is amazing. If you don't already start massaging your pet, they love it. Mm. Absolutely love it. And it's a great way to bond and share love. Um, but it also makes it much easier to handle them if something's not right. And I find that they're much more inclined to come up and present a part to you if something's not when right. When they feel safe to do so as well. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's very much a two-way relationship. Um, yes. And I think it's important to give as much, just as much as you get back. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Okay. So I'll be adding in the show notes, um, a link to your website and your Instagram. Are there any other ways that people can contact you with ease? Um, website, Instagram, I'm on Facebook as well. Okay. Yep. Um, we are, or yeah, I've got a promo at the moment on my probiotics. If anybody is mm -hmm. interested, I've taken more than a third off the price of those. Awesome. Um, and I, on my services page, I do have a space for animal nutrition consults, which um, if anyone's interested in those, I haven't linked it to my Google calendar at this point in time. So I don't think it will let you book straight through the website, uh, but you can send me an email and I'll send you all the details and I'm including a free probiotic with anyone who books a nutrition consult, which is a nice little upgrade as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, most of the information is there. If there's anything that's not, people can feel free to contact me via email, which is just hello at petpotions.com.au as well. Great. Thanks, Nikki. You're very welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Wellness Alchemy podcast. Please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast to help spread inspiration and conversation beyond the seeds of health corner of the globe. Until next time. Bye for now.